we're doing that and we're walking in our God-called purpose and in our destiny. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. I'll read out of the King James today. And uh, my spirit is ready for this week. My, my flesh is complaining already just a little bit. Am I the only one that kind of subconsciously hoards a little bit during this? That like you just feel like for some reason it'll be easier if you just like eat yourself silly right before. I mean, sometimes like 11.59. Just hammering it. Just like somehow that's going to, and you're just as hungry. You're more hungry now. When you wake up in the morning, it's like you digest it. You work your stomach all night long, and it's just starving now. You made it worse on yourself. Good. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone. Be careful how you come off a of fast, too. Right when you come off, man, you're calling dominoes. Don't do it. I've been there. Matthew chapter 6. I'm ready. I'm ready. Starting at verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues at church and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And most of us could probably quote it on from there. And that is a great pattern that Jesus gave us for prayer. I'm not going to be discussing the Lord's Prayer today. But I will be reflecting on this passage and some others. Let's pray today that God would open our understanding as we go into this new year, really trying to be relational in our prayer, understanding that all the other types of prayers that there are, the prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of supplication and prayers of intercession, that all those things are much better if we first establish our relational prayer with him, our time with him, our intimacy with him. So God, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds today to help us to enter into this new year pursuing you, Lord, and pursuing our presence with you, that we will learn or reestablish or do better at walking with you in the cool of the day, Lord, walking with you in communion and not just asking for things, but God, in true, deep, passionate relationship with you, 
friendship with you, communion with you, Lord. Help us to establish this early this year that it will help bring personal revival to each one of us, that we will become alive like never before and greater than wherever we have ever been in our walk with you. Lord, help us to establish that early this year that we'll be effective in every other area we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Look at somebody near you. Let them know that you are glad they're here today. Then you may be seated. As we review this passage, it talks about how the hypocrites, a hypocrite is somebody that does one thing openly or tells somebody what they need to do and what they need to be, but then secretly in their own life they are something completely different. We call that a hypocrite. And so we see in this passage that there are those that go to church and they stand in the synagogue or at church of that day, that they may be seen of men. We see here the motive of these prayers. It's nice to have corporate prayer. We will have corporate prayer here this week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's good to gather together and pray. We've prayed here already several times in the service, and we'll pray again before we leave this place today. We will, we will pray. There's nothing wrong with corporate prayer as long as the only time you pray isn't corporate prayer. As long as you don't just do it with one eye open to see if somebody else is watching. As long as you don't do it just to be seen that you come to public prayer, whether that's here or out anywhere, to be seen of men. The Bible talks about that here goes on to say, Verily I say unto you that they have the reward. In other words, if you do get credit for that, if somebody gives you some glory for that time of prayer that you just prayed with such magnificent vocabulary, enjoy that compliment. Drink it up. Because that's all you're going to get out of it. You have your reward. That compliment, if you only pray publicly so that people see how wonderful you are, then then enjoy that compliment because it's not going to go much further than that. They have the reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. So he's making the transition here from public prayer. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with praying at church. There's nothing wrong with praying a corporate prayer, joining together with other believers. We know that's a, a biblical principle as long as that's not our motivation for why we pray. He makes the contrast here and says, but when you go into your closet, now the closet isn't necessarily a designated closet of prayer. It can be. There's nothing wrong with that. If you go into your closet with your clothes and you have enough room to pray in there, if you if your closet is your car, if it's, if it's while you're cutting uh, or out in the yard or you're going for a walk, the closet just here means private. It's just saying that when you have your private time with the Lord, when you have your your time that you're alone with Him, it's okay to pray while you're driving. Just don't let that be the only time you pray. And, I, and that's a good scripture when it says watch and pray. That's a good time to not close your eyes and pray if you're driving. Pray in your car, but watch and pray. Um, but besides that, there, there are times when you should be praying when you're quieted. The Bible talks about God walking with Adam in the cool of the day. 
We know there's warfare prayer. We know there's things going on in the spirit. We know there's things like that that we engage and we have to do battle and we have prayer requests and we ask God to heal these people and we have people come to the front and we pray with them because the Bible tells us to do that. But there should be some prayer times where we are simply communing with Him. Are there times that my family members, my wife, my kids ask me for something? Yes. But there's also a lot of times we're just talking. I know their heartbeat. I know what they're going through. I, I know what life things are happening. And likewise, they know that with me. Why? Because we have relationship. We have relationship conversations. Are there times where I'm asking them to do something or asking them for help? Yes. Are there times where they're doing the same? Yes. But there's outside of that, there's a whole lot of relational conversations. We all get weary if we're, a, if we're in a relationship where the only time the person calls us is when they need something. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father, again, giving us the context here, which is in secret. There's some things that should be just really private. There should be some things between you and the Lord. There should be some conversations that you have that is just you in him. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. There's a lot of things that you will pray for, a lot of things of who you are. You don't have to guess too much of, of who the people are that have their private times with the Lord. I, I don't remember too many times, and I showed her picture here several weeks ago of my grandmother, and she was not somebody that was a, a real outgoing person. But you could tell by her life, you could tell by her conversations that she was a person of private prayer. The only time I saw her pray outside the church is, is sometimes when I would sneak past her room to get to the to the, the, the restroom that was on the ground floor of her house, and I would slip past her bedroom, and it sounded like she was whispering to somebody. But to keep from waking anybody else in the house or to keep from making a show of it, you could hear her speaking to the Lord in there. Well, it didn't take much to, to find out that she was a woman of prayer because you would see her life, you would see her dedication, you'd see her commitment to the people of God and to the house of God. You, you, one time, I, I think it was especially uh, obvious when I, I was over for Thanksgiving, I just asked her, I just, uh, everybody was getting food and everybody was in line, the, lo the house was loud, and, and she went into the, 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 the living room there just to kind of watch the commotion there of all of her kids and grandkids and cousins and all these people that were just packed into her little house. And so I just walked in to just make small talk with Grandma, and I said, Grandma, isn't the Lord good? And in that moment, I realized where she was with God. I asked her if the Lord was good, like I would say, how's the weather? I was just trying to make conversation to see where this would go. Uh, I knew she was enjoying her family there. I said, Grandma, isn't the Lord good? And she stopped, and she went, has been so good to me. This is a woman that was a widow 30 years of the time I knew her. My grandfather passed away when I was two. 
If I were to tell you about her life even up to that point, you would not have thought that that person, when I tell you what her life was like before that event where she lost her husband, if I told you her life leading up to that, you would not think that that would be the person that one day would be going, oh. I think of my wife's grandmother, and I hear testimonies and stories of early in her life, things not perfect, and yet she was the same type of person that if you were to ask her about the Lord, she would probably just take a breath and be lost in a moment of her gratitude and her love for the Lord. That is somebody that you know has a private place, a secret place with God. But when you shall pray, use not vain repetitions. It's okay to teach your children, now I lay me down to sleep. It's okay if they're around the dinner table and say, God is great, God is good. It's okay if they if they start there. But but if somebody's forty I'm hoping they've kind of grown past that that prayer that we teach them, the routine of prayer, and I hope they've grown into relational prayer and just can from their heart begin to begin to express their love and their adoration and their thankfulness to God. And so it says here, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they should be heard for their much speaking. Here's what I understand. None of us probably use those little nursery rhyme type prayers anymore. But can I tell you that I've caught myself a time or two here and there saying a pattern of some of the same things that I've said before. That, that when I go to my time of prayer, even before service when I'm over here, that if I'm not careful, if I'm not really mindful of it, I, I find myself going into the same vein of the categories of that I'm praying for. And I, and I hear myself suspiciously saying some of the same sentences and paragraphs that I pray. And I really have to stop myself and say, I don't want to be guilty of the vain repetitions, even though it's not, now I lay me down to sleep. I want to make sure that I'm so relational that I'm feeling after God and I'm in fact allowing Him to pray through me. Or I'm asking Him, God, what would you like me to pray about today? What would you like me to intercede for? Am I praying for this city this morning? Am I praying for the guests that are coming here? Am I praying that I would be molded and shaped even through the words that He uses through me today? Am I allowing those words to change my life? I have to make sure that I am processing my prayer time. If I sat down with my wife or my kids every day or a friend that I have and just we had the same conversation about sports and the weather every single time, you wouldn't think that was a very deep relationship. And so the Lord is cautioning us here, not against just now I lay me down to sleep, but even as adults, that we explore areas in God. That we go into conversations, that we go into new areas of understanding, that we expand our faith, that we expand our boundaries, that we expand our influence, that we expand our prayers. Be not therefore likened to them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. And then, of course, he goes into 
After this manner, therefore pray thee. After this manner. Here's a prototype. Doesn't mean you have to pray this exact prayer every time you pray. He's saying here's a, here's a format. And it's a beautiful format. Perhaps a sermon or a lesson for another time. Last week we looked into Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We talked about prayer should be a place that we dwell, that we live, that it is a secret place, that it's a place where, where we are on our own in a secret place with God. We talked about that last week. And in 2 Chronicles 7.14, we actually read 11 through 15. But 14 is the key that we kind of look at. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And so in this, again, we see in this passage that we have to humble ourselves. We have to realize that I need him more than my own intellect, that I need him to help me figure things out. I am dependent on him more than when I'm just in a crisis or an emergency. I need him daily. God, I need you even more than I realize I need you. I never will forget forget being at 2106 Sullivan and, and meeting with pastor. We would meet in prayer uh, before we. I went to my office and he would go to his. And, and I remember the Bill Cisco on this side of the wall while I was on this side of the wall. And he was pacing. I was pacing. I'll never forget hearing this man of God, the Bill Cisco, say, God. I need you even more than I realize I need you. We'll never forget it. And that is my prayer oftentimes. That he, I know I need him, but I need him even more than I know that I need him. Psalm 27, 7 through 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. You can almost hear the desperation in this prayer. Let's never forget how to, how to lift our voices and how to raise our voices. Let's never forget how to be desperate in the presence of the Lord. Let's never forget where he's brought us from and realize how bad we had it. We have to never forget where we've been and not be afraid to lift our voice. Over 20 years ago, I was in a minister's prayer meeting in Dublin, Ohio. After about 20 or 30 minutes of praying, I just couldn't seem to break through. For some of you who may not know that term breakthrough or praying through, uh, it, it, it's like <clears throat> when you're praying and you feel like you're just talking to yourself. Has anybody ever got into a time where you were praying and it felt like you were doing nothing more than just saying words? You didn't feel anything. You didn't feel like anybody was listening you just were saying words and you just was like what am I even doing and maybe even for a moment the devil even tempts you and say there is no God you're just talking to the air <clears throat> that particular time it didn't really go there I just knew I wasn't getting through I just knew that I just wasn't 
in the presence of God. I'm perplexed because I'm in a church. I'm here with some great men of God in the Columbus metro area. They're also praying. It seems like many of them are in the presence of God. You can feel it. You can hear it. And there I sit after 20 or 30 minutes feeling like I'm not doing anything. So I stop to assess what's going on. And, 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 and I will say this. <clears throat> I remember many times Brother Davis, my father in the gospel. Now, I, I've got two fathers in the gospel. Brother, Brother Davis brought me so far, and then Brother Cisco brought me the rest of the way. I remember Brother Davis had such fabulous prayers. He was an English major, and so, you know, he would he would go all King James on you, and, and he would he would start praying scriptures. Thou art the rose of Sharon, the bright and the morning star. I don't, Man, whatever he's saying, yeah, me too. And so I would find myself, whatever he would pray sometimes, yeah, what, what he said right there, yeah, me, me, me that, me too. And so I would pray through Brother Davis sometimes. Sometimes I would just shut my yap. Sometimes I would shut my yap because his prayer seemed to be better than mine. And so I wouldn't say anything and just, yeah, ditto. Yeah, what he said, I mean that too. Because he could go places with his language that I just... I just couldn't do. I, I just, you know, I like to blame the school system, but it was probably that my lack of paying attention to the school system. So I can't totally blame Columbus Public for that. That's probably some of my own responsibility. I didn't even know what a rose of share is. That a spice? Is that a flower? But it sounds awesome. So God, you're great. That must be great. So you're that. So I'm I'm in agreement with Brother Davis. So I'm listening to these men connecting with God, but you see, that's how Brother Davis spoke. If Brother Davis wants to pray in King James, I have trouble reading the King James sometimes. But he could he could preach it, and he could he, he could say it, and he knew exactly what it all meant. And so he could pray that and connect with God. I couldn't. Now this is all processing in just seconds in my mind. I realized I had got into a form of prayer. I realized that I was getting into some vain repetitions. I realized that I was saying things I said before, that I was around other men of God and perhaps even repeating some of the things they were saying, and I wasn't getting anywhere. So I stopped. And I went west side on the Lord. And you think it's funny, but that's how he talks to me most of the time. Because <laughs> I get it. I understand it. And I just started to talk to the Lord. God, I really do love you. And I need you. And he 
valuable direction that I have in my life comes from you. I'm telling you in two sentences, as simple as they were, at the feet of Jesus that quick. I had his full attention because he had mine. You see, in that moment, I had to stop being whatever I thought I was supposed to be and just be who I was and talk the way that I am so that I could be sincere before him. I wasn't trying to be like anybody else. Great men of God, and nothing was wrong with what they were doing, but that was them. And I had to be me. And I had to get real base with my conversation. When I did, it's like the Lord said, Now you're talking from your heart. Now I'm interested in what you have to say. Not in whatever that was that was trying to be impressive to everybody else. And I didn't realize I was doing it. Please understand, I don't go into any prayer meeting like, watch this. I, 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 that, but, but when you start, the, the Bible talks about no man knows his heart. So I had to, I had to come to a conclusion that when I'm just honest with God, I can get very base with what I'm saying. And so I realized that I was guilty of Matthew 6 and 7 about vain repetitions. And now I had the attention of God. The prayer of Jabez moved the heart of missionary John Hyde to pray with great faith, expecting answers to his prayers. As a result, he became known as Praying Hyde. And the world still feels the impact of his powerful life. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman once wrote to a friend telling of Praying Hyde's influence on his life. He had been holding meetings in England and was in attendance, but realized the attendance there was disappointingly small. Then he received word that praying Hyde was going to pray down God's blessing upon him and his work. As a result of Hyde's powerful praying, the tide soon turned and the meeting hall became packed with people. At Chapman's first public invitation, 50 men received Christ as their Savior. Relating the story, Chapman said, As we were leaving, I said, Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. So he came to my room walked in, turned around, and locked the door. He dropped to his knees and waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping and beating. I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. Then with upturned face, with tears streaming down his face, he said, Oh God! Then for another five minutes, at least, he was still again. 
And then when he knew he was talking with God, there came the depths from his heart, such petitions for me as I had never heard before. And I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. Being with somebody that is that intimate with God that don't have to use words. They are just still in his presence. Cry out to God and then wait for the presence of God to move on them to proceed. Being so sensitive to the spirit to know it's not my time to talk yet navigating through whatever, what was going on in Reverend Hyde's mind to make him just wait and then say, oh God, and then wait again, being so in tune with God. You see, the term house of prayer was not just penned in the New Testament. Luke 19, and there's other passages in the Gospels that talk about it, but Luke 19, 46 says, saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer. I like this particular one because the other Gospels refer to my house shall be called a house of prayer. But I like this because instead of saying that it shall be or it should be called the house of prayer, I like this rendition because it just says it is the house of prayer. And I contend that this is a house of prayer. This year we will not refer to this as this should be a house of prayer or we ought to get in prayer or someday we're going to get into prayer. But I'm going to confess right now today, this is 2024, that I declare that this is a house of prayer and we will expect to come and to pray. We will pray before service. We'll pray at times during service. We'll pray throughout the service. We'll pray after service. We'll come times when there's not service just to pray. Why? Because this is a house of prayer. My house in Circleville will be and is a house of prayer. This vessel, this temple is, I declare this year, is a house of prayer. And so this isn't just something that happened in the book of Luke by the Gospels that we see the, this passage about it being a house of prayer. This just didn't happen. In fact, they're repeating something that was said in Isaiah 56, 7 that says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And so this is something that was spoken in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament. It shall always be from the Old Testament to the New Testament to now our dispensation of grace. This is a house of prayer. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me. When? When you shall search me with all of your heart. So it's very simple. You can find the Lord when we seek him with our whole heart. I'll never forget being at this church, not this building, at 2106, 
and I was there meeting with somebody in a Bible study and was talking to them about the Lord. And there was a knock or the doorbell at the church, and so I went to go answer it. And it was not uncommon for people to knock on the church door there. When, you're, when your building is 18 inches from a building called Cookies, where people are frequently coming out of there, stumbling out of there, it wasn't uncommon for people to knock on our door and need stuff. I need gas. I need diapers for my kids. And so you give them money for gas or diapers and watch them go right out the sidewalk and go into Cookies. I don't think Cookies sold diapers. I could be wrong, but I think they went in there for other reasons. So it was not uncommon to have somebody knock on your door wanting something. So here it is, knock on the door. I leave my Bible study for a second say, let me check on this. I'll be right back. I go up there. I see a man in really rough shape, and I know the conversation. I already know what the conversation is. So I go to the door, open the door, and say, can I help you? My teachers always told me there's no such thing as a stupid question. But on the west side of Columbus, when your building is next door to Cookies, and you get a knock on the door at night, and you open the door, and you say, can I help you? It may not be a stupid question, but it's close. If nothing else, it was a rhetorical question, which means it didn't require a response. I already knew what the answer was. I already knew when I say, can I help you, it was either 5 or a 10. And so I'm expecting that in my mind. How am I going to navigate through this and get back to my Bible study? Is he going to ask for five bucks or ten bucks? I said, can I help you? And he said, yes. I don't know if there is a God, but if there is, I need to find him. How novel. I've been answering that church door for years at that point. In fact, I used to be the interceptor. I was the guy that would run to the door before Bishop Sisko would go to it because he would get caught up for half the day, so I would go answer those doorbells to keep him from having to do it. And probably the only time I can ever remember somebody actually knocked on the door and wanted to find Jesus. I said, uh, I'm in the middle of a Bible study right now. But if you will come back in a half hour, I'm almost done. If you'll come back in a half hour, I'll talk to you. He said, okay. I closed the door, and I it was decent outside, so I let him outside. I didn't know who he was, didn't know what was going on, so I didn't want somebody just in the building free without somebody there to keep an eye on things. <clears throat> Got done with my Bible study, and again, because it was so rare, not really expecting to see someone. And he was sitting on that stoop right in front of where pastor's office was. He was sitting right there on that piece of sidewalk right there, waiting patiently for me to get done. If I could fast forward about six weeks, I will tell you that Rick received the Holy Ghost like right here in that platform at 2106 Sullivan. I mean, when he's received the Holy Ghost, I don't mean like he just eased into it. I don't mean that he just like started stammering a little bit. I mean, it was like one minute he's saying, oh, God, I love you. And bam, he was speaking like somebody that had been speaking in tongues for years. It was loud. It was fluent. And after about 10 seconds, he looked at me scared to death. And I said, just do it, Rick. Just do it. I'll tell you about it later. And he turned back around, threw his hands up, and just went right on where he left off talking about seeking him with your whole heart 
I'm talking about being so desperate that you don't care what the person next to you think. You don't care what the co-workers think. You don't care what your roommates think. You don't care what anybody thinks. It's I am all in. I took him from there. We got a robe on him. I went up. I, the baptismal, you got by, on the back side of it. I baptized him. And he got out of the water, and he went and sat on the steps that were right there. He sat there and didn't move. I got out, dried off my arms, and, and, and came around. And just I just I just wondered if he was okay. So I just kept watching, kept watching. He just he was sitting on a step, and, and he was just feet still in the water, looking back into the tank. I, it was it was it was such a hallowed moment. I, I didn't want to interrupt. I just he was having a moment. There was something happening that I didn't want to interfere. I didn't I didn't want to interrupt what was going on. He broke the silence. He said, Bill, it's a sweetness in my mouth. It wasn't the city water. It wasn't the chlorine. He said, it's like honey in my mouth. When you seek the Lord with your whole heart, And you go all in. There is no telling what God will do con to confirm his love for you. It wasn't a week or two and he showed up for the Bible study in what used to look like a man that maybe lived under a bridge. Rugged clothes. Dirty clothes. I'm not joking. A five foot eleven Tom Selleck came walking into my office. I mean Magnum PI days. I mean like a thirty-five. I didn't recognize him. I was wondering who is this guy that's standing in front of me. I started laughing out loud. He had on New shoes, he had on dockers, he had a golf shirt on. Looked like he just came out of a business meeting. I was shocked. Nobody told him any of that stuff. It's just what happens when, when God begins to transition somebody's life. And he said this, it's amazing what you can do when you no longer have a $400 a week drug habit. His story wouldn't even make a believable movie. J just to kind of lead you up to where he was and, and, and the lifestyle he was in, I'll just tell you this, that his older brother, his older stepbrother, sold him into prostitution for a little extra side money. As a kid, Rick was a kid, his older brother would rent him out. And I won't even tell you the, some of the horrific stories of he went into detail about what some of those scenarios looked like. But to watch.
It's the power of the gospel. The power of transition to watch God when somebody says, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to turn my heart to you. And I watch God come through all of eternity to reach in and grab him as Rick made those first steps for Christ to watch God meet him at the point of his faith and at the point of his need. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me and those that seek me early. That also means diligently in several translations. That seek me diligently shall find me. Limitations 3.25, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Acts 17.27-28, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also as our own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. As the musicians come to the platform, a number of years ago, a man by the name of Tommy Tenney wrote a book called The God Chasers. The premise of this book is just being hungry after God. David said, as the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul seeks after you. He was always hungry after God. And so I'd like to read just a few quotes out of that book as we're getting ready to come to a close he says in his book there is much more of god available than we have ever known or imagined but we have become so satisfied with where we are that we want to have uh, we don't want to have to press for god's best he goes on he goes on to say worship and spiritual hunger may make you so attractive to god that your circumstances cease to matter anymore he will move heaven and earth to find a worshiper. When you begin to worship with all of your being and desire, your heart turns him towards you. You capture his attention and attracts his affection. Goes on to say that he's looking for people who are hot after his heart. He wants a church of David who are after his own heart, not just his hand. You can seek for his blessing and play with his toys, or you can say, no, Daddy, I just don't want those things. I just want blessings. I want you. I want you to come close. I want you to touch my eyes, touch my heart, touch my ears, and change me, Lord, for I'm tired of being the way that I am because if I can change, then the cities can change too. As we stand to our feet today, There may be somebody here today that just asked this question. Okay, pastor, I get it. I, I see my need. I, I don't want to go through the motions. I, I want to go to a new place. I want to go to a new dimension. I want to explore some of these areas. Maybe you're coming back to God. I've been there. Maybe you've been away for a while and you, and you, and you feel like you're making your way back. The answer is going to be the same. I'm about to give it to you. Maybe you've never experienced God. Maybe it's your first time ever being introduced. Maybe you're like Rick that just says, I don't even know if there is a God. But if there is, I need to find him. No matter where you are in that scenario, I'm going to give you the answer. And it's a scripture. 
And it says this in James 4 and 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. What, what else? That's it. You, you make the first step towards him, and he'll take a thousand towards you. You take another step, and he'll come from heaven to be with you. You make five steps to this altar. Nothing magic about necessarily the altar other than it's just a place we come and pray. It's a, it's a step of faith. That's why you'll hear preachers sometimes say, well, you know, raise your hand or, or, or let's pray. And, and all that is just a step of obedience. There's nothing magic about the item itself. Carpet up here is the same as the carpet back there. But it's something about taking a step forward, a physical step that God says, okay, you're willing to make a move towards me. I'm going to make a move towards you. Well, pastor, I don't, I don't feel it. There's an interesting thing that happens in Hollywood, and it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. We normally don't do things romantically unless we feel it. Normally you don't talk romantically towards somebody or make any romantic gesture unless you have some feelings for them or some attraction. <clears throat> do you know how many fair affairs happen in Hollywood because somebody has a script in a movie where these two are supposed to be a couple? And so with all the rehearsing and all the lights and all the cameras and all that's going on, you say to that person enough, I love you. You have enough scenes where you're walking down the beach holding their hand. You have a couple of scenes where there's some kissing or some romance going on and something very peculiar happens. Those people begin to fall in love and will actually leave their families and their current spouses. What is that all about? That is about sometimes if you do things, your feelings will follow. That's why your words are important. If you're married, never say the word divorce, ever. Don't even say the word. In our marriage, divorce is not an option. Murder, maybe a time or two, but never divorce. Don't even say it. Make the step towards God. Even if you don't feel it, because when you say it, and you make the step towards prayer and you draw near to him he's gonna it's a, it's a, it's it's just as much as the law of gravity this, this this scripture i'm telling you it's just as much a law as this law of gravity it just it's just relentless it's relentless i'm telling you if you will make your step towards him he will come close to you it has to happen it's a law it's his word so as we go into this year, 
No better way to start that than to come to this altar and just say, God, I want to draw near to you. I want to be relational. I don't want to pray like anybody else, God. I want to pray like me, and I want to draw close to you. I want, I want new areas. I want to explore more areas in our relationship. I want to explore more things in the Spirit. I want to have more uh, dominion and authority, but, but all that is going to happen as a result of me being relational with you. I'm opening up this altar right now for anybody that will want to draw nigh unto him. I don't care if you're a seasoned saint.